Welcome to the Dog Training Audio Experience Podcast. This is the podcast where you are going to get a lot of value when it comes to learning more about dog training, dog behavior, and beyond. I'm your host, Erica Gonzalez. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant and the founder of From Dusk Till Dog. And with that, let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the Dog Training Audio Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Gonzalez. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant, and I'm also the founder of From Dusk Till Dog. Real quick before we jump into the podcast, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Pupford. As a dog trainer, I use and recommend training treats a lot. And some of my absolute favorites are the freeze-dried training treats from Pupford. Not only do our dogs love them, but they're high value, low calorie, small in size, so they're great for training. And if you put them on auto ship, you'll actually save 15% off. And with that, let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm so excited for our topic. I feel like I say that at the beginning of every episode, but (laughs) so be it. So uh, today we're going to cover a very important topic when it comes to our dogs. This topic of giving our dogs the power of choice, the power of consent, and dare I say it, the power of control, and how providing these things or lack thereof can affect our dogs and their behavior. And to help me discuss this very important topic is Lisa Corcoran. She is a Victoria Stillwell Academy certified dog trainer and the co-founder of The Confident Hound located in Waco, Texas. Lisa also has a master's in psychological science and has been working in the mental health research field for over the past decade. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk about this today with you. Me too. I feel like this is one of those things that's not out there as much as it should be. I feel like as trainers and behavior consultants and all of this that we see a lot about training and how to do skills and and so on, but I'm really excited to talk about the power of consent, which I think we all can appreciate at some level. So something I've learned over this time I've been working with people and their dogs is I've kind of realized that a lot of people may not realize how little we sometimes take dogs' wishes into account when we're working with them or just living with them. And I feel like they can get forced into some situations, whether that's grooming stuff like nail trims or shoving them in the bathtub or doing a behavior or, you know, vet visits, things like that, even just greeting strangers and other dogs. So Lisa, what do you think is kind of, what do you think the lack of consent a dog has in their day-to-day plays a role in their behavior? How do you think that that plays a role in their behavior and how it affects them? And do you think that it compares to how people would feel? What are your thoughts on that working in mental health with people and with dogs as a trainer? What do you feel with that going over dogs versus people and how we feel about consent? Well, um, I'm definitely of the mind that there's a lot more commonalities between dogs and humans than we usually think about when it comes to psychology and just mental health. Um, And it's important not to anthropomorphize, but there are certain areas like this where I actually think it helps for people to understand what it's like to be their dog. And on your daily basis, when I think like of a lack of consent, I think about all the things that we do to our dogs that they don't get to say yes or no to. 
And, you know, a lot of those things are things that are important for them. You know, they need exercise, they need to eat, they need to go to the bathroom, they need preventative medical care, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not room for us to also incorporate their wishes, like you said, into, into that structure. Right. Um, and when a dog kind of lacks this, it, it takes what is kind of um, a bit of an institutionalized system of you do, you, you eat when I say you're going to eat, you poop when I say you're going to poop, and I'm going to escort you to the bathroom, um, and all these things. And, you know, that uh, structure that mm-hmm. can be almost prison-like is going to start yeah. to affect their mindset. And, you know, the same thing happens with people who are in living in that kind of system as well. Um, you know, whether that's like legitimately a prison or if it's just like a very controlling relationship or um, having a really controlling parent growing up, that kind of thing. And so when you lack those ability to consent to things, you not only kind of are quashed, your spirit is, is crushed, right. but you can really come to resent all of those things that might be good for you, that might be important for your health simply because you don't get to say yes to that. That's a really interesting point because I feel like something mundane or routine, like some of those things you said, if if people don't feel that they have a choice and just like with dogs, if they feel they don't have a choice in the matter, it can turn something that shouldn't really be negative into something negative. And I think that does affect all of us, dogs included. I like kind of bringing this pairing together on that. And I I do want to touch on this because I think you'll agree. I feel that when people approach dog behavior, dog training, living with dogs, working with dogs, trying to communicate with, it's basically interspecies communication at that level. And I feel like that's what we teach at a high level being dog trainers. (laughs) When you do a quick Google search, there's not a lot of, unless you land on a qualified trainer and behavior consultants page, which is not always the case on Google, but if you search how to train my dog or how to get my dog to like the bath or how to do whatever, I feel that you're going to get a lot about don't let them do this. Don't let them do that. A lot of the don'ts, a lot of the don't let them sniff. Don't let them sleep in bed. Don't let them walk ahead of you. Don't let them go out the door first. You have to eat first. All these like weird things that I think people latch on to because it seems to make sense reading it that way. Being the boss, being the leader, taking control, being the pack leader, all that stuff we know is out there and is just not accurate with how dogs are viewing our relationship with them. And again, I feel like it takes away what the dog might want or how to help your dog feel better about things and not just getting them to do it. So I think that consent and how we view training in general and just our relationships with our dogs, like you were saying, is super important. I feel like right now it can seem very one-sided on what the humans want out of it. So I, yeah. this whole episode today, I want us to all, everyone listening, kind of view it from, like you mentioned, Lisa, our dog's perspective a little bit more. We know our perspective. We're loud about it as humans, what our perspectives are on things. I think it's good to take the dog into account. So let's talk about some examples so that people can understand a little bit deeper on this consent and choice thing. What's one example or two that you think are are good ones for people to focus on where you think people should be more aware of the dog's 
having consent? What are some examples you've seen working with clients or just with your own dogs? What are some things that you think people can focus on that where dogs might not have consent? I think on the day-to-day basis, the one that comes up most for me is even just consent to training. Um, I And I am an admitted bad at this because... <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm a trainer and I have, you know, things I want to accomplish with my dog, things I want us to move forward on. Maybe I want to try and film something and use him for that. And he's just not up for it that day, or he's just not getting it or whatever. And the reality is that I need to give him the opportunity to opt out of that training because in the long run, that, that training will suffer. I will actually potentially poison whatever I'm trying to teach him with that negative emotional experience. Mm -hmm. And so I do try to make sure that he's not just there because he feels coerced or forced to be there, but that he's an enthusiastic student. A participant. That's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a good example too, like on the human side, it just made me think about it. If we say we, well, let's use our example. We love training dogs. It's what we do. Imagine somebody telling you every time where you had to start training, right? Even just us working with our dogs. If someone was forcing me to do it X amount of times a day at the time that they would prefer, and I had no say in it at all ever, I'd start to kind of hate it or not want to participate at all. So that's a really, really good point. And that kind of happened to me actually, as I was Wrapping up my program with Victoria Stillwell Academy, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I had, I kind of had a rough year because our previous dog had gotten cancer. So I got really behind on the training Mm -hmm. and got down to the wire. And I had one thing left that I needed to work on. And Ace is my student. And we had to work on go to mat every day. And I think we did like six sessions a day to try and move this along at his pace. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I was so sick of it, of go to mat. I never want to do go to mat. <laughs> yeah, you're like done. Yeah, I was like, never want to cue this ever again. <laughs> um, and so it, it definitely like made that experience with that particular behavior and training that with him, it took away from what should be the, the, the after effects of training, which is a closer mm-hmm. bond and fun and joy. Right. True. Yeah. I feel like one thing too, cause I think sometimes people might say, well, if my dog constantly says no, then we won't get anywhere. Right. So I want to, want to kind of add this in. I think it's important to give the dog, a, a, allow them to say, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in doing this or I'm not. But at the same time, if your dog doesn't want to do it, and you find that they're, they're quote unquote saying no a lot, not consenting, and you wanna give them the consent, that's a moment for us to say, okay, that's data, that's information. What does that mean for this? Is my dog nervous about something in the environment? Do I need to not do this with all these distractions? Perhaps we go back inside and work on it. Am I using high value reinforcement for this dog? Maybe what I'm offering is not that great if we're just using praise. If we're just using praise, that's not good. Um, I mean, it is generally, but if we're trying to get our dogs to overcome something or try to motivate them a little more, getting that payment up could be better. So just wanted to add that because I think sometimes there might be dogs saying a lot of no and we need some yeses, but that's for us 
not to blame the dog, but figure out another way to motivate that dog with some of those factors that may be playing a role in why they're saying no. So that's for us to, to kind of figure that out and put the puzzle pieces in place. So, yeah, I think that's really, really important. Um, do you, do you feel, you know, in terms of, cause we're talking about choice, we're talking about consent. We just touched on consent, which like we mentioned, could be consenting to, you know, being at the vet or getting groomed or even just opting into starting a training session. Like you had mentioned some of those things they get to to not say yes or no to a lot of the times in our society, but in, ter in terms of choice, right? Cause I feel like there's differences between choice and consenting just like with people highlighting that a little bit. What do you think is a role that choice plays in a dog's life? And what are some examples of choice versus the consent stuff that we should be thinking about as pet parents? So I feel like Choice probably comes up more on a daily basis for me as like something to think about than consent does. Okay. Not that it makes either of those more important than the other, but I feel like when I think about consent, I do think about those bigger moments, like going to the vet, going to the groomer. And so one of those single events of not having an opportunity to consent to something can be kind of like a real damage, a real chip on your bond with your dog um, and can do a lot of damage. When I think of choice, I think of all of these tiny little moments throughout the day that mm -hmm. we almost maybe don't even really notice or think about. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier things like going to the bathroom. You're, you control when your dog eats, when they poop, when they get exercise, if they even want a breath of fresh air. Like mm -hmm. you control all these aspects of their lives that they can't just choose for themselves. And because of those things being so little, um, it may not seem like any one of them is that big of a deal. Right. But I do feel like over the course of a day, it starts to build up. And it starts to have more of a generalized effect. Sort of my analogy is that you know, a, a, a damaging event where the dog couldn't consent to something that, that, that happened to them that they didn't enjoy can really right. put a damage on that vet visit. Choice is like every day, it almost just raises your dog's temperature of negative emotions. It kind of like just sets them up in, a, in an irritable state, in a, mm -hmm. in a unfulfilled state, that emotional cup is drained, things like that. And so what I try to do is find moments where I can give back some choice um, to try and lower that temperature, to try and um, make up for the aspects of their lives that just because of being a good pet guardian, I have to do, you know? Yeah. And, and you just sparked something in me as well. I think a good example for, for us humans would be imagine waking up, your outfit gets picked out for you for the day, your choice of coffee, how much sugar's in it, how much, yep. how much creamers in there is chosen for you, yep. what breakfast you're going to have. You don't get to decide ladies and gentlemen here. Yep. It is. What we're giving is what we're giving and plain Cheerios. And yeah. <laughs> plain Cheerios, dry ass cereal, <laughs> you know, for most dogs. And so, and it, that doesn't mean that all that's horrible. Like obviously we're their caregivers. So, you know, want to be delicate about, we're not obviously not saying that the dog's going to you know, go and pick what bag of food we're going to, we're going to be able to afford or whatever. But 
I think it's it's interesting to think of it that way that yes, we have to control some of these factors just at this nature of our relationship with dogs. But if there's a moment we can give them a shot to make a choice, it's going to empower them. It's going to make them feel better. It's going to make them feel more in control of their immediate surroundings, more confident and just happier in general, as we would be if we had all that made for us or those choices made for us. And then we had a moment or two where we get to decide that's empowering. So yeah, really, that was good. That just sparked that in me as I was like, imagine if I woke up and was told everything I had to do all day long, I'd be pretty I'd be upset, I think. <laughs> and I think a lot of us got a taste of that last year with quarantine and lockdown. I think, you know, yes. setting aside what people's feelings are about lockdowns and those decisions, yeah. we had some higher authority telling us where we could go, when we could go, and in some, some countries, how long you could go outside and for what reasons. And, you know, you had people True. suddenly walking their dogs because of all that. And even if you felt like, you know, this is in the best interest of our community and whatnot, there's still a level of frustration there for sure of, of not having a choice, you know, yeah, and so stressful. I think last year gave us some empathy for our dogs in that manner. Preach it. I'm hundred <laughs> percent agree. I feel like we can all appreciate our dogs at an even higher level now after what we're all going through, have gone through or still going through at some level. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, that can definitely stress you out and cause it can impact how you're feeling on a regular basis. So what are, uh, and, and just to, to go off of that real quickly, Lisa, as I'd love to hear your input on this, what are, what are some ways with those basic functions or mundane kind of day-to-day routine? Do you have an, an example or recommendation where someone in some of those simple ways can provide a choice for their dog? Yeah. Um, and, and let me just, preface this by saying, and and you've kind of made this point, emphasizing that giving your dog choice does not mean that they now run the boat. You know what I mean? There's kind of this, I think the resistance to this topic in the past has been this sort of false dichotomy mentally that you're either giving them all of the control or none at all. And it doesn't need to be that way. Um, And so I try to incorporate choice into existing structures of that I've established. And mm-hmm. it's important to know that structure is also very beneficial to dogs and humans alike. Um, you know, having a consistent routine is also beneficial for our mental health. This is something I did a lot when I was a preschool teacher. I structured the day, but within the individual activities, I tried to provide choice. So that the kids were kind of in the right zone, but could use their own unique personality to decide what to do. So with my dog, for example, he, he really needs to go on a daily walk and structurally it's good for me if he goes at seven 30 before I start work. Okay. And so that is where I get to make a choice. But once we step out that front door, I love to say to him, which way you want to go today? Oh, I love that. I just, wherever he turns, I'm like, that's the route we're taking. That's where we're going. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Lead us on a path. That is such a great example. And I, I do that with my dogs as well. You know, anybody who follows my page, know I talk about decompression walks a lot. I know you have, you know, and 
And that comes in many forms, in my opinion, doesn't have to be linear thinking on that. I think it, it can be different things for different people. But generally, I think that's a version of it in terms of kind of letting the dog sniff, let them see where, where they want to go. And with Freddie, as an example for me, you know, he came to us when we rescued him with a lot of issues. And I bring Freddie up on a lot of these podcasts as my example sometimes. But he, you know, I had to let him sometimes there was times I knew he was ready to go home. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't ready for the big world yet where we were, even though that might've been down the street in the beginning. And so if he decided he wanted to head back and was signaling to me or kind of pulling back towards the house, I was like, all right, bud, we're done. You know, where other people might feel compelled to, well, we got to get that mile in, or we got to, you know, those are little moments where your dog's letting you know. So I think whether that's, they want to go a certain direction or they want to head back to the house and call it a day. I think it's, it's, those moments are important. That's a great example. So, you know, in terms of, I'd love to talk a little bit now just about, I would love your professional opinions on this and just working in behavior again with people and the mental health thing. And then our mental health with dogs, which is this all kind of coming full circle with the mental health. We all know how important mental health is. And I feel like we should be talking about it more and more and more as the years go on, because it's just so important for all of us. What are some So we know it's important. We've discussed the importance of consent and choice, little ways we can think about how to do that, little things to maybe avoid doing so much. And what are some of the fallouts that you've seen in your, in your profession and both professions, just what do you think that impact has on a dog and and does it relate to how it impacts people as well? Just what have you seen in that regard? Uh, Definitely. So I think, you know, if, there's a situation that's lacking consent or choice. Um, The intensity of the situation is probably going to determine the intensity Mm -hmm. of the outcome. Um, So if we want to take like a severe human example, lack of consent in a sexual activity leads to things like post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, suicidal thoughts and behaviors, things like that. And so, you know, it can get really extreme. And in our dogs, having a pretty traumatic visit to the vet can, Mm -hmm. you know, create some pretty bad outcomes akin to that. Yeah. But on more of a sort of lower level, it does just build up a lot of negative emotion, dog, human alike. And I generally see with dogs, um, response to a lack of consent or control choice in a situation going one of two directions. I will see dogs go in a direction where they actually become aggressive and they basically fight back, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of that fight or flight type of thing that we're all pretty familiar with. Right. But what a lot of people don't know is in response to fear, it's not just fight or flight always, there's also freeze. Mm -hmm. And that's the other direction I often see dogs go in situations where choice, consent, control is taken away from them is they just shut down. Yep. And you know, both of these are very concerning to me. And I do see very similar responses in humans as well. Um, but it's, it's actually the, the shutdown one that makes me a little more concerned. And the reason for that, not to downplay aggression and, and the seriousness that it is. I get it though. Yeah. <laughs> but because <laughs> When I see a dog who is behaving aggressively, a lot of people see scary, angry, they think defiant, right? They Mm -hmm. see all that. 
And same thing, if I see, you know, maybe in, in my work with veterans, maybe I see a veteran acting aggressively. Either of those, I actually see a really, really hurt individual mm-hmm. who, is, who is fighting for their life, their right, whatever you want to call it. And at least that person or that dog still thinks they have a shot. They still think on some level they have choice. On some level they can, they can do something about it. Yeah. But when I see a shutdown dog, um, they've given up and they have, you know, what's a popular term in both dog training and psychology of learned helplessness, Mm -hmm. which is essentially fancy term for pessimistic and hopeless and just feeling like there's no point in me doing anything about it. I'm just going to lay here and let it happen to me. Mm -hmm. And that generally concerns me more. Because in both dogs and humans, that takes a lot more work to rehabilitate. I, because, that's fair. Because <laughs> you fair not only point. have to rehabilitate the individual like situation that caused the problem, but you have, to, you have to rebuild this person's confidence that they can have any impact on their environment whatsoever. You're absolutely right. That's I 100% agree with working with cases like that is I almost rather the dog be aggressive about it because I feel like, okay, they still care, you know, you know, quote, unquote care. And they feel like they can make a change. Whereas the other dogs just like, like you said, I'm just going to let this happen until it passes and then try to go on with my life. And they're just kind of eating it a lot more. And I feel like that can be more, even more psychologically damaging long-term. And I think just using the example of being touched, you know, I use this with clients a lot. I'll say, Hey, you know, whether it's a dog that has stranger danger or is human aggressive, or they don't know the dog just seems very apprehensive around new guests or new people coming over. And they'll, they'll walk me through how the dog, how some people pet the dog and they're fine. And other times they're not so fine. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I feel like dogs should also start a Me Too movement because they're not ever asked if they'd like to be yes. touched or handled. So kind yes. of keeping in that handling being touched without having consent. Yeah, it, it is, you know, just because and, and I also want people to know just because you think your dog looks fine does not mean that they might be fine. Because yeah. I have a lot of times where people think, you know, a lack of don't mistake a lack of aggression for enjoyment. Yep. So to your point about the freeze, I think sometimes just because the dog isn't biting someone's face off or isn't growling, they think the dog's having a great old time about it. And unfortunately, that's most of the time from what I'm seeing, not so much the case. So I think we need to, I forget who said this, but I've kept it in my brain forever. We need to try to have observations, not interpretations. So really just watching what your dog looks like, you know, learning some dog body language is always a preventative measure for pretty much anything with our dogs. So, you know, I think, I think that's important to realize that dogs might not be enjoying all of that. They might be frozen. So don't mistake a lack of of acting upset as, okay, now they're fine. Cause there, there is a medium point in there. Maybe that they're not so fine, even though they're not acting aggressively. So Yeah. So in terms of that, so we've definitely seen aggression, you know, the freeze or flight or fight. Those are usually the three, the the couple things that you'll see the main three. Do you, 
I, I feel like, and I would love to hear your opinion on this too. I also feel like another big fallout aside from what the dog's going to do, you know, physically or emotionally in that moment, I think it generally also just kind of depending on who it's coming from can generally damage the relationship yeah. with the dog and the person. Like they're, they're people, their family, the, the main caregiver for the dog, the guardian. Do you feel like sometimes I feel like guardians themselves are the ones not, so it's not always an outside source. I feel sometimes pet mm -hmm. parents are the ones inflicting the lack of consent and choice on the dog, whether that's picking at them or trying to brush them, force them down to brush their teeth and things like that. Do you feel like that can really affect the relationship? Cause I definitely feel like it can, and it has, it has ramifications there. Do you see that in your work? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's one of those sort of the sort of unseen, the sort of uh, the the wounds that are not readily mm -hmm. apparent. Yeah. And and I think it's 100% true for both, um, you know, uh, working with dogs or working in mental health. Um, the bond and the trust between teacher and student is mm -hmm. so important. And in mental health, we refer to this as the therapeutic alliance. Okay. And it basically just means how comfortable with your therapist you feel, how bonded to them you feel, do you feel like they have your best interests, that kind of thing. And it seems like, well, duh, but it in research has accounted for the overwhelming majority of the reason why people get better. Okay. Um, it's a huge factor in treatment outcomes and improvement in recovery. And so when you have a therapist who doesn't give you a lot of consent, doesn't give you choice, or maybe doesn't really treat the mental health treatment as a, a collaborative journey that you're both on together, mm -hmm. that chips away at that therapeutic alliance, that bond the in the same way that it does between me and a dog that I'm working with. Um, so, you know, we, we have evidence for this in both arenas. It's not, it's not some, you know, just a uh, thing that we say like, oh, the bond is important. Yeah. If you want to, but no, it's like there's science for it. <laughs> Absolutely. I always like to bring that up that this isn't just some nicety that we would, you know, that we're just kind of having yeah. an opinion on. This is just data driven concepts that we know are either affecting affecting or not affecting in ways that, that we may not have intended to. So I think that's, I, I, I do also, I know we kind of touch a little bit on weight, you know, letting your dog kind of lead the way on the walk and things like that. And before I forget to say this, I want to help anyone who might read this or see this. I've said this to people along the way in my career, and I feel like it really resonates with people. So I wanted to say it here when it comes to, so we'll hear a lot about dominance, you know, your dog, if you're, you know, like you were saying before, it can seem weird for people that we're giving so much choice to the dog. And it seems like it has to be all or nothing. They don't get, they get all of it. And they're going to take over the mortgage, which would be nice. Uh, you know, take <laughs> over the house, take over the mortgage or the or, world. Yeah. Or take over the you know, dog president. <laughs> That would be lovely. I actually probably be pretty good. <laughs> I'm up for that. I'm up for that. You know, so I feel like I, I want to say this because I say, listen, 
we control just the nature of our relationship with dogs. We control what they eat, when they get water, when they basic functions like going to the bathroom, what toys they get to play with, when they get to go outside, when they get to go in, in or out of a crate or in and out of a bedroom, greeting certain people or not greeting certain people or other dogs or not other dogs. Every moment of their life is up to us to make a decision about. And then the one nanosecond that the dog does something out of line that we view, we deem inappropriate, unwarranted, we call it dominance. Yeah. Um, it gets a little ridiculous, right? Now, I don't blame people, you know, but they don't know this stuff, which is why we're talking about it on this podcast. But if you really think about it, it's like, okay, 1%, one time out of 500 moments in the day, the dog decides something different on their own. And we, we blame it on them and go, dominance, they're taking over. And I'm like, uh, we just- Retain our agenda. Yeah. I'm like, we just decided everything they've been doing since they woke up to they've gone to bed. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just not that. There's, you know, they might need a moment. Maybe they're nervous. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're not motivated. Maybe they don't know what come, 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 here, damn it, from the back door means a million times uh, if we didn't teach it properly. So uh, I just wanted to say that because I always think that's that resonates yeah. well in saying, hey, your dog's not trying to like take control of the whole situation. They would just sometimes it's again on us to figure out why that's happening and make an adjustment. Totally. So, uh, so anyway, I digress there a little bit, but what are, uh, I know we talked a little bit about ways we can start to allow our dogs provide more consent, provide more choice. What are some other things you think people can be cognizant of or, you know, provide more of consent and choices in any way? What are some ways that we can focus on that? Um, I think, um, you know, for like long-term training goals, if you, if you want to put it in that way, mm-hmm. I'd love for more people to work on cooperative care with their dogs Preach for it. vet and for groomers. Um, cause as you touched on earlier, it's often those shutdown dogs that are perceived as like good patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't, they don't get help in that area because from the human perspective, Oh, everything's fine. Sally was a great, was a great job. Yeah. And it's, you know, the squeaky wheel, the aggression ones that get noticed when mm-hmm. both of them really need that type of care. And really every dog needs that. Um, hundred percent. And, you know, I hate needles, hate them. Um, and so I often avoid <laughs> getting anything to do with needles. And, um, and so I've had to do my own cooperative care work with myself, um, to, to get the care that I need. And so uh-huh. this is a very important part of people's lives, uh, of your dog's life. So, for a long-term goal, I'd love to see that incorporated more. Um, I, agree. I have done that with Ace, um, our, my dog who's German Shepherd and I'm drowning in hair. So <laughs> he needs to be brushed a lot. And so we have a little choice um, kind of game there that we play where he lies in what's a recumbent position where basically he lies on his side okay. and he puts his head down and I brush him. And, um, if at any point he lifts his head, I take a break. And so that's his way of sort of consenting to that activity. Um, and I try to keep it short and sweet so that I don't kind of, um, uh, overwork him or anything like that. Um, 
So long-term, I think that's one great way to incorporate it. Um, Cooperative care is super, super important. I feel like that's, I feel like that's probably the most overlooked thing from pet Mm -hmm. parents, from like regular pet parents who are trying to set their dogs up for success that want to sign up for training classes. They want to get their puppy moving on it or their newly adopted dog or what have you. I don't think anyone, at least I'm just speaking with my experience over the years, most people are not calling me up and saying, I want to work on yep. proactive, making sure my dog's okay at the vet, making sure yep. my dog's okay with being groomed at the groomers, or I'm going to groom them. I don't think people think about, that's one of those things that I don't think most people think ahead about it until it's already a problem. Yeah. So I think that's touching on that, what you just said. I think it's really important for people, if you're getting a new dog, if you're getting a new puppy if you're welcoming a new dog into your home, start working on that as soon as possible, because yeah. it's one of those big proactive things that is commonly overlooked in my opinion. So I think if we're, well, I'd rather be proactive with that than reactive. Well, with everything, but primarily yeah. <laughs> that because vet, vet visits are going to need to happen regularly. Grooming needs to happen. Your German shepherd, you know, like we got to be on it. We don't really have a choice. Nails need to be trimmed regularly. Teeth need to be cleaned, all of that stuff. And God forbid your dog gets an ear. I mean, how many clients have we had that the the dog needs ear, ear products, some type of eardrops and the dog gets aggressive because they feel very uncomfortable getting touched there. And now we have a problem because they have an infection and we have to do all this training and we don't have enough time. So get ahead of it guys. If you know, your dog either might have a little apprehension with something or you think they're great. We do it with our dogs. So I feel like I do that. Uh, I do that side cue with Jane, and it's a lot of different cooperative care start button behaviors. You know, having your dog be able to start the process by putting yeah. their head down and relaxing. And if they pull it up, that means we need a break, and we need to respect that. It's informational. That's probably the best way. Uh, consent behaviors and start button behaviors, if you will, I think are the best way to start being able to communicate with your dog if they're okay, if they're okay with that stuff. And, uh, and I do think another thing you like for those listening, you can teach your dog to lie on their side and relax and present them with the brush or whatever you're utilizing. And this, this is a process. Don't get me wrong. You're not going to be able to maybe do this in one sitting, maybe hire a qualified professional trainer to help you. But Uh, another thing I teach is like, I love chin rest behaviors, having the dog rest their chin on the edge of a chair or in your hand or in your lap. And, uh, and also, you know, uh, extended nose targets. So using like that touch cue and having them there. So you can find many different ways to, uh, to do these start button behaviors, but I'm glad that you touched on that, Lisa, because commonly overlooked and something that I think is fun to do, even if your dog is, is fine with that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a long time ago, I, I, I didn't do as much choice just because I wasn't as aware of it. Um, and I'm so glad that it's becoming a thing because now I'm almost addicted to it. Like it's so fun. And you know, the, the coming and the vet stuff we talked about, yeah, those are more like longer term things that you do, but on a daily basis, when you start working these things in, it can become so easy and fun. So, you know, the walk was one example where I let him pick which direction we're going to go. Um, but then like, you know, I, I let him choose whether or not he wants to, um, nap inside or outside. So we have Aww. our back door. We have like one of those bug screens on them. It's like curtains that yeah. are magnetic. And sometimes he'll go out there and he'll, it's really cute. He'll go out there 
and he'll like lay in the sun for maybe 30 seconds and he'll like roll around on his back <laughs> and it's really cute and then he goes oh I'm a German shepherd I'm hot and it's Texas and he comes back <laughs> inside <laughs> and I'm good. Like, that little bit like he's so happy in that moment and he didn't have to ask me for it he can just go and do it right um and we used to do similar things with our first dog Artemis where we would just you know, um, give her the opportunity to, to choose what toy, you know, just have a toy bin out, you know, yeah. and let them dig through it. You're going to quickly find out what your dog's favorite toy is because they will knock that thing over and take <laughs> the bottom to get that, that chicken that they just love, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and you can really see your dog's personality and their preferences come out. And that's what makes your dog unique. That's what makes them your dog and yeah. knowing their personality and those are the quirks that you're going to remember for the rest of their life and after they're gone yeah that I feel like those are little memories those those are yes. the personality things that we're gonna miss about them when they're not around and things like that and it that reminds me Freddie's got a lot of quirks like that <laughs> and and Jade has her quirks too, but Freddie's are more prominent, I feel like. And so when there was a moment a couple a couple weeks ago where it was really cold here in New Jersey, uh, which it normally is, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know, I went outside and Freddie's a 10-pound chihuahua. And so he's really, he's always cold. He wishes he was in, you know, the tropics every day. <laughs> He'd be fine in the rainforest with 95 million degrees. So he's always sitting by vents. He's just one of those little dogs that lives the vent life. And so at least in the, in the winter time. So I brought him out, I brought him and Jade out and then we have a stoop at our back, our back door, a little, little landing. And I walked out and Jade immediately goes out and she's, you know, meandering around. And I look back and Freddie's just sitting there kind of shivering. And I wanted to kind of spend a few minutes with them outside, just getting some fresh air and having a little break from being inside. And I asked him, he knows come and come on. And he knows that really well. And I was like, come on, bud. And he just, I could see him looking at me going, I don't really want to, I'm, so I'm really cold. I really don't want to step out there right now. Please don't make me do it. And I, instead of, you know, being what maybe someone else might not realize that's a moment of choice and might've tried to continue to urge them or pick them up and bring them out or whatever. I was like, all right, dude, I walked back to the door. The second I saw, I could see him light up as soon as I started walking back to the door. Cause he's like, she's going to let me back inside. <laughs> and I let him back in. He was thrilled. I spent the rest of the time outside with Jade and he came out later when I tried again. And it was a little bit, not, you know, first thing in the morning, really brisk. And he came back out. So even little things like that, that I think if obviously if I wasn't a trainer, I don't think I would know that. Yeah. So I yeah. think those day-to-day -day things, there's little things even like that, that we can pick out to totally. allow our dogs a moment. <laughs> I'll add only one more example. Yeah. And it's just because I do so much work with stranger danger dogs. And that's, that's kind of what got us into training was our first dog who had stranger danger. And so yeah. she didn't really want to interact with people. And you've talked about this, about how these sort of forced interactions, whether it's you know, having your dog greet another dog on leash or having other people pet them. And, um, you know, half of that equation is just us as humans feeling like 
we have to be social and therefore our dogs have to be social. And if we're not, or we decline it, then we're rude. And that was something I really had to get over. Mm-hmm. But I am also married to an introvert. And I don't make a habit of making him go places. He doesn't uh-huh. want to go. Right. Um, you know, there's not a lot of parties in the past year. But like, <laughs> if there were, I would just be like, you want to stay home? Great. I'm going to have thing. a better time. <laughs> I'm not going to be constantly thinking about how you don't want to be there and you're going to have a better time. So let's not force it and let's just accept who we are. And when it comes to dogs, I try to think of that as well. Like what is going to make everyone actually happy? And with um, uh, helping a dog who isn't super comfortable with human interaction, helping them feel more comfortable with it. I love to incorporate choice through the training game known as treat and retreat. Mm. And it's crazy simple, but it's like so powerful because if you're not familiar with the game, it literally goes like this. I'm holding treats. There's a dog in front of me. I throw a treat at the dog. They eat it. I throw a treat behind the dog. They retreat to get it. Mm -hmm. And then they get to make the choice whether or not they want to reapproach me for the next iteration of the game. Yep. And by taking that social pressure off of that dog and giving them the choice to re-engage, to re-consent with the game, you make such faster progress with that dog wanting to interact with you, to be your friend, any of that. And this is something that I have my clients play with their stranger danger dog when guests come over, have mm-hmm. the guests play treat and retreat with your, with your dog. And then do what I do with my husband and just say, go to bed, honey. It's okay. Yep. You have to keep being part of the party. Yeah. Just you can come say party. hi and then go on and go yeah. away. Just excuse them. And <laughs> everyone's happier. <laughs> That's such a great analogy and an example with that, because I think I, I think as trainers, we also utilize that type of spatial and social pressures. It's a little of both, right? It's okay. You can move away. There's space now, distance, and you get to decide if you'd like to come back into this social situation, coming back up to the guest or me or the stranger. And I feel like we do that a lot in our training when I'm doing muzzle training or crate training or and trying to get the dog to enter a certain room, like the bath, the bathroom area where they get bathed and things like that. It's like, Hey, come up, get some food, I'm going to toss another one away and then you get to decide if you want to reapproach the bathroom area or the muzzle or the crate or wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. And I get a lot of questions on my videos about why are you throwing it away? Why are you doing that? You know, I'm sure you're reinforcing them for leaving. (laughs) Yeah. People don't know what that is. And so I'm glad that we're touching on that little retreat, uh, treat retreat game because in a way we're kind of doing a version of that, a variation of that when we're doing all this other training stuff yeah. because the dog gets to consent and, and decide if they'd like to reapproach. And if they do something in it for them, but uh, that way they, they have that, that choice. And I think that's really powerful versus me just continuously rewarding them for standing there. And then after a few moments, most dogs are gonna be like, uh, all right, I'm going to get out of here as I don't I'm great with the food and all, but I feel a little awkward being this. Yeah. It just gives them recess like kids in class, right? We need a yeah. break. We come back in, we're refreshed. It's just like a little break there. So I think that's totally. really, 
special for people to know and keep that in their back pocket as a, something they can pull out when needed for multiple applications. So great example. Thank you for not uh, letting us go without that last example, because I think a lot of people, whether your dog, and I think you can use treat retreat, whether your dog is nervous or whether your dog is jumpy or whether your dog, it, like it just keeps the dog busy. It keeps them on task. It's all positive. They're not really super close up to your guest. We're not hand feeding stranger danger dogs, by the way. That's why we're mm-hmm. tossing these pieces of food folks. No uh, so, hands. <laughs> yeah. No, no big, like weird hands coming out towards the dog's face. A dog gets to have some space. So this could work for a multitude of things. So thank you for that, Lisa. I think that's great. And I, I do, I feel like, you know, as humans to kind of recap this a little bit, we have choice, we have consent. It's, it's important for people. It's important for dogs. And I think as humans, we can all grasp the concept and appreciate the important role that consent and choice plays in all of our lives. And I hope that those listening can begin to incorporate this more into their lives with their dogs. Just do your best, try to read your dog and and incorporate these little moments that mean so much to your dog, even if to us, it seems kind of simple. So real quick, Lisa, I want those listening to be able to connect with you. So let us know, how can we connect with you, Lisa? Where are you at? Where can we find you? Um, Well, if you are in the sort of central Texas area specifically, and um, you're in need of a, of a good trainer, um, mm-hmm. we, are, we are here and you can just find us at theconfidenthound.com um, and find out sort of what we're all about and how you can get started with us there. Um, if you're not and you're just across the globe and you want to get just some tips and tricks um, on a day-to-day basis, we are on social media. We are on primarily Instagram a lot. And our handle is just at the confident hound. It's the same for Facebook um, and for YouTube. Um, nice. And uh, reach out to us there and we'll, we love to chat. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. This has been a great discussion. I'm so glad that we can bring your expertise working in mental health with humans, us humans, and working with dogs and behavior. It's so interesting to see the dynamic from both ends and be able to appreciate it from our standpoint of being humans and also needing consent and choice. So thank you for bringing both of our worlds together on that. It was great to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. This is a really, really cool discussion. Awesome. And as always, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the dog training audio experience. And until next time, treat yourself and treat your dog. And as they say, that's a wrap guys. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you found some value in it. And if you did, it would mean so much to me if you would leave us a review wherever you're listening to this on. This helps us reach more people, more dog lovers, more pet parents, and helps spread this dog info and love just a little bit further. If you're on any social media, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, TikTok, YouTube, I think I got them all, (laughs) you get the idea, definitely check us out at From Dusk Till Dog. I'll see you guys next time.